The Southern Baptist Convention held its annual meeting last month, and at the top of the agenda was the debate over egalitarianism versus complementarianism, or the role of women in the church. Rick Warren of Saddleback Church tried to make the case that the Bible does allow and even calls women to pastor, while others, like Dr. Al Mohler, rebutted his arguments and argued that women are not to fill that position according to to the Bible. Breaking this all down today is Pastor Tom Askell, pastor of a Baptist church in Florida, who is always very in the know when it comes to what's going on in the SBC and can offer us a biblical analysis of this heated debate and tell us why it really matters. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. Pastor, thanks so much for joining us again. It's been a little bit since you've been on the show. So for those who may not know, can you just remind everyone who you are and what you do? I'm Tom Askell. I pastor Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. I'm the president of Founders Ministries and the Institute of Public Theology. And uh, more important than that, I'm the husband of Donna for 43 years, and I am the grandfather of 18 grandkids. 18. That are, uh, yeah, two of them born on the same day just a couple of weeks ago, and so we are, they're all right here with us in the church and in this area, so we're, we're praising God for this season of life. Oh my goodness, what a blessing to have all 18 grandchildren close by. That's amazing. Um, okay, I'm yeah. having you on to talk specifically about the latest <laughs> SBC Uh, disagreement, drama, discussion. (laughs) I I think it has turned into some drama, which is unfortunate, but basically the disagreement is about complementarianism versus egalitarianism. Rick Warren, Saddleback Church out in California, Mm -hmm. um, losing its Mm -hmm. membership status in the SBC for having women pastors, correct? That's correct. Yeah, he and other uh, churches... um, uh, also are in that category, but there there were five churches over the course of the last year that the SBC Executive Committee that that serves kind of as the convention at interim between our annual meetings uh, voted to remove, and four of those were for having women pastors, one was for having a man that has was guilty of sexual immorality as a pastor. And uh, Rick and uh, the pastor, a woman pastor from the Fern Creek Church in Louisville, said they were going to petition along with the church that had uh, employed this uh, man who had confessed to sexual abuse. So the three of them made their case at the convention in New Orleans in June of this year. And uh, the convention voted to sustain the decision of the executive committee in all three cases, and overwhelmingly so. Uh, and Rick, Rick Warren spoke for Saddleback, though he's no longer the pastor there. Uh, he spoke for that church that he established and, and served so long. And the votes were like 88 to 12 percent for Rick and 90 to 10 for uh, the other two. It was not even close. And so that's a good sign needed to happen. No one is uh, taking joy in it. But the reality is, you know, how can two walk together unless they're agreed? And Southern Baptist has been quite clear on our understanding that the role of pastor in a local church is limited to qualified men. 
And that's being challenged more and more. And there are people trying to move us away from that and you know, make all kind of accusations against us because of it. But by God's grace, we at least stood firm on that issue at this convention. Yes, there's been a lot of back and forth over the years. Certainly, we had you on when uh, the debate was more about critical theory, critical race theory. Right. Uh, how do we approach this issue of so-called racial reconciliation according to mm -hmm. scripture? And so now we're having this debate, which in a way, I mean, it's it, it, it comes on, on and off the scene, it seems like, over the past right. several yeah. decades. <clears throat> Tell me why this issue... Um, puts a church like Saddleback in uh, in a place where they're no longer in friendly cooperation with the SBC. And Rick Warren would say, right. look, we believe in the Baptist faith and message. We uh, agree with it. Ninety nine point nine percent of it <laughs> is what I think he said. Nine. I think he's a nine, 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 nine percent of it. Um, and right. there are other churches that, OK, there might be some Baptist churches that disagree on predestination <clears throat> or disagree on some of these issues, Calvinism versus Arminianism, whatever it is. And yet they are still able mm -hmm. to stay in friendly cooperation. So why is it this issue that would separate a church from the SBC? Well, this is a polarizing issue in our day, as you well know. And uh, I want to make the point, too. Yeah, it was critical theory a few years ago. And so today it's this issue of women pastors, which really yeah, the, the subsoil of that is the radical feminist movement. And as you well know, Allie, you talk about it all the time. And this is a totalizing worldview. These are not isolated, compartmentalized issues. They grow out of a way of thinking about the world that is contrary to the word of God. And Southern Baptists have historically, from our inception to the present, without any claims of perfection and many mistakes made along the way. We have been a people of the book, of the Bible. We've been unashamed to say this is what the Word of God says, and we want to follow it. And where we've made mistakes, by God's grace, we've been granted repentance to turn away from that and make things right. And there's just no doubt about what the Bible says regarding the role of the elder bishop, overseer, which is bishop, pastor in the church. I mean, those those words are used of the one office and function uh, for leadership in the church, and it is limited to qualified men. First Timothy 2.12 is so crystal clear on this. Paul says, I do not uh, allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over men. And what's happening is we now have people say, well, what that verse really means is I do allow women to teach and exercise authority over men. And Paul's talking about the context of local church leadership there in First Timothy 2 and what takes place specifically in gathered worship times. So the, the, the bottom line is, are we going to stand on what the Bible says or are we not? Are we going to do that on issues of partiality and ethnicity? Are we going to do that on issues related to men and women? Are we going to do that on issues related to sexuality? Are we going to do that on issues related to politics and church and state and religious freedom? All of these issues, any one of which can become and have become flashpoints at different times and will in the future, they all have to be brought back to what does the Word of God say? And uh, Rick Warren, uh, for all of whatever good he's accomplished over the course of his life, and he has accomplished some good, uh, for him to say we agree in 99.99999% 99 
Uh, it sounds like a, a wonderful argument, but in reality, it's specious. It's superficial mm. because were that argument to have been made in the fourth century, Arius could say, look, we agree on everything but one letter. And uh, we're just saying that, that Jesus has a, a similar substance with the Father, and you want to make us say it's the same. It's just one letter in the Greek work, well, alphabet. Why right. should we split over that? So truth matters, and God has revealed truth in His Word, and we need to not be ashamed of anything that He has said in His Word. Okay, quick pause to tell you all about my first sponsor for the day. I was just thinking, honestly, on the drive here this morning, how much I love Carly Jean Los Angeles and how seriously thankful I am for them. I know that might sound dramatic talking about a clothing company, but I am really so grateful for the clothes that they make that make it just comfortable to live honestly as a woman and to feel good about how you look in any stage of life. It's not easy going through pregnancy and postpartum or just like weight loss, weight gain, all the different things that women go through with their bodies and to find clothes that are actually versatile, that actually fit. You don't have to buy new clothes every single season to try to keep up with the trends. That's why I love Carly Jean Los Angeles so much because their clothes are comfortable. They're extremely flattering. I don't have to buy maternity clothes because I fit all of their clothes really in every stage of life. That's just kind of how versatile they are and how well they fit. Um, also, they're really well made. I love that about them. And they're really classic. That's my style. I've got a classic style. I don't really keep up with the trend. So I love that I can keep my Carly Jean Los Angeles clothes for five years and they're still in style. They still look good on me, still look good in my closet. So make an investment in at least getting a capsule from Carly Jean Los Angeles. So get you some six solid pieces that you can mix and match. You It will make your life so much easier. Plus, Carly and her family, they're Christians, they're pro-life, they hold to the values that you and I do. So it really is just a win all around. Go to CarlyGeneLosAngeles.com, use promo code AllieB at checkout for 20% off excluding final sale items. CarlyGeneLosAngeles.com, code AllieB for 20% off. CarlyGeneLosAngeles.com, code AllieB. I mean, it's kind of like the Catholic and Protestant debate. I mean, technically, there are a lot of there are a lot of differences, obviously, between Catholicism and Protestantism. Mm -hmm. But you could say it comes down to this word alone, too. Well, that's typically, you know, that's mm -hmm. just one word. Is it faith alone or is it faith plus something else? And that alone right. makes a heck of a lot of difference. In fact, I mean, it made a huge yeah. difference uh, several centuries ago to Martin Luther and others. And so I agree with mm -hmm. you just because it's one word doesn't mean that it's not a huge and consequential uh, distinction. So if we were to, as charitably as possible, try to present the case that Rick Warren is putting forth, he issued uh, an apology to women, my apology to Christian women. And I won't read the whole thing. It's a very long tweet, but saying, basically, I've kind of put women to the side, I guess, in ministry, not allowing them to ascend mm -hmm. to this position of pastor. And I misunderstood the text. And after careful exegesis, I finally realized that no, women absolutely can be pastors. That's what, you know, God meant for them. The text that you're reading doesn't mean what it, I don't know what it actually says. I guess that's his argument. But how, like, how would you describe what the egalitarian argument is for the idea that women actually can be pastors if we were to try to do so 
in the most charitable way possible. Right. And, and there are several. And, and so they don't all agree with each mm. other. Uh, and I, I have friends who think that it's OK for women to be pastors. And yet they want to guard against kind of the uh, the feminist underpinnings that have been used to bolster that argument. So I want to be sensitive to them. I, I debated Dwight McKissick a couple of years ago on this whole issue. And uh, his arguments are different than Rick's arguments, though, I think Dwight's taking some of Rick's right now. But as I understand it, uh, Rick's arguments boil down to this, that the uh, the word pastor designates a gift that God gives to the church. And it is true that the only time the noun form of pastor is used in the Bible is in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul is saying that he mm-hmm. gave some to be uh, pastors, teachers, mm-hmm. some to be apostles, some prophets. And so, yes, it is a gift. And what Rick says, okay, well, that gift can be given, according to 1 Corinthians 12, to whomever the Spirit of the Lord wants to give it. He can give it to men or women. And if if God gives the gift of pastor to a woman, who are we to say, no, you don't have that gift. You can't have that gift. We're putting ourselves in the place of the Holy Spirit. Well, again, it sounds like a convincing argument, but one of the basic principles of reading the Bible and understanding it is letting the Scripture interpret itself. And so there's that word in the noun form in Ephesians 4, but that word is used in the verbal form many times. And we see it in places like Acts chapter 20 and 1 Timothy chapter 5, where it is used interchangeably with the other two words that are always limited to the role of qualified men in in a church as bishops or as elders. And so bishop, elder, and and shepherds or pastors, it's a, that same word. It's found interchangeably in Acts 20 and in First Peter chapter 5. So if the work of pastoring is limited to the bishops and elders, which have specific qualifications set forth for them in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1, and those qualifications necessarily limited to the husband of one woman, a one-woman man. Mm -hmm. And if we see the, the Lord Jesus choosing 12 men to be his apostles, and we don't have any indication of uh, that that role of serving the church in that office ever being made available or, or using uh, in any kind of egalitarian terms for men and women, why in the world would we overturn clear teachings like we have in, in um, uh, 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2, 12 that I cited earlier, where it tells us there are differences between men and women. That's creational. It, it's ontological. And those differences are recognized in every, should be recognized in every area of the world, but they are specifically recognized in the church. Doesn't mean that women don't have vital, essential roles to play in the church. They they do. They must be good theologians. They should be learners. And that's one of the things that was radical about Jesus and Paul is they said, yeah, you know, your woman must learn. You know, t- typically we, mm-hmm. we don't take that to, to heart. They, they must learn. Well, that's important for them to carry out their roles in the church as God might assign them. But those roles are not to be elder, overseer, or 
pastor. And right. so Rick would just say, no, 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 I've seen that. Now, another argument he makes is that for 53 years, he misinterpreted the scriptures and that he went back and, and realized he had misunderstood. He just never seen it before that the first women are the first people who discovered the risen Christ were women. And they went and told the apostles. So he says they were the first preachers of the resurrection. And he said he never understood the Great Commission uh, that was given to uh, go make disciples of all nations, given to men and women. Again, I want to be charitable, too, but I would hope that if, if I stood before people and said, you know what, I've misunderstood some of the clearest, most basic texts in the Bible for 53 years, I should probably sit down for a while yeah. and uh, be instructed sure rather than come out. Thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, it is it is a beautiful thing that Jesus appeared to two women and that they turned around and that they told the good news to these men. That is a beautiful sure. thing. And and we can look at that and we can look at uh, varying points in Jesus's ministry and say, well, the way that he paid special attention to these women in need, the way that he attended to them, the way that he focused on them, the way that he loved them is really sweet and is really special. And right. I can, as a woman, look at that and say, Wow, I'm, I'm I'm just so thankful that that was included in scripture. I'm so thankful that that is um, the kind of God, the kind of Savior, the kind of shepherd that he is. But there is a difference between loving women, seeing the equal worth and value of women, even equipping women with certain talents and certain sure. gifts and certain responsibilities that do include sharing the gospel. That is not the same thing as calling women to be pastors. That's something that I seem to see a lot. And again, you know, trying to be as accurate as possible, representing the other side's argument. But it is just a conflation between yeah. sharing the gospel and the role of pastor. Because um, as you, you mentioned, Ephesians 4, he's given the church pastors, evangelists, and teachers. And so the pastor is more than just an evangelist. There may be, you know, mm -hmm. uh, God can equip women to share the gospel. We are part of the Great Commission. We are called sure. to use our words to share the gospel. That's not the same as a pastor. A pastor is not just an evangelist, right? Right. No, that's exactly right. It's well, well put. And uh, th this idea that uh, unless a woman is allowed to do or, or called to do everything that a man could be called to do in any sphere of life, but especially in the church, then somehow you're being oppressive to women. Well, that has more in common, I think, with Annie Oakley. You know, anything you can do, I can do better than it does with the way the Bible actually describes the world that God created and how his image bearers, male and female, are to live in his world. And I, again, I think it's basic. I think it comes down to are we going to be uh, trust trusting God? who made the world, who put us in the world, who gave his son for us to redeem us out of the sin that we have committed against him and who has given us the church and tells us that the church is his household and it's his house, his rules. And we need to be willing to accept that and recognize this is not oppressive or repressive. This is good. This is what is best for us. God's not holding anything back from women and he's not elevating men in some type of, of class of superiority over women, he is saying, no, there's a difference. And here's how those differences are to be utilized in his household for his purposes. Now, if we could get that, um, I think confidence in Christ would go up. Joy would go up because we'd realize God's called us uniquely, equipped us differently to serve in various capacities. I mean, I, 
I don't feel oppressed because I can't bear children. <laughs> uh, God didn't call men to bear children. And, uh, and again, you see the ideology at play today with the nonsense that's going on in our culture saying, oh, no, 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 you know, a man can have uh, a child and you can now right. there's even surgeries being proposed for putting wombs in men. It's ludicrous and it's rebellion against our maker. And if we could come to terms with God is good. He's done this and it's good. And when we embrace it, we, we find life, we find joy, we find contentment. There's no repression. There's no uh, op uh, oppression of us. This is God's good way for his creation. Okay, another company I am so thankful for is Adele Natural Cosmetics. This is another one. Makes me feel good in my own skin. I use their products all the time, especially their cleansing products. I mean, really second to none. I use their facial cleanser, their spray moisturizer every morning. I love their uh, the moisturizing balm, the Blue Lagoon line, also their essential line. I really love everything from Adele Natural Cosmetics. Also, when I'm just, when I'm going to church or just kind of in my daily casual life, I wear their foundation, which is really lightweight, but also gives good coverage. And I think my skin honestly looks better than ever because of Adele Natural Cosmetics products. They're all made in the U.S. They hand make their stuff. It's all completely natural toxin-free. This is a family-run company that started because they wanted to make natural products that are good for our bodies and good for our health, use everything in God's medicine cabinet. That's what they do. But also why I appreciate them is because they are so strong in their faith and they're so outspoken about things like the life issue. They're always telling me that they're praying for me, that they're supporting me. That just makes a big difference. You want to support a family like this. Go to AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Use code Allie at checkout for 25% off your your first order. AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Promo code Allie for 25% off your first order. AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Code Allie. Could you help us understand a little bit the passage that you referenced earlier, which I do think for for anyone, even the greatest theologian, it's a complex, a little bit of a complex passage to know exactly what is meant here. Some of it's obvious, and then some of it's just like, huh, okay, what exactly is meant by that? And so if you could if you could help us out a little bit. So the, the first Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach her to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And he uh, is talking about here the ordering of things, the ordering of the church. And then in the next chapter, he goes into the roles for the overseers, which you've already mentioned. But then he gives the reasoning. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So after the word four in verse 13, like what are what are we looking at here for the reasoning? It obviously is rooted in creation. So it's not rooted in mm -hmm. cultural norms. It's not rooted in things that would mm -hmm. change. It's rooted in something that is fixed. Mm -hmm. And so that mm -hmm. part I understand. Can you help me kind of parse out the the rest of it? What does it what does it mean that it's because Eve was deceived, not first Adam, childbearing, that stuff? Yeah, and some would say this is constitutional, and it might be because there's definitely constitutional differences between men and women. Peter says the same thing uh, over in First Peter chapter two, I think, chapter three, uh, where he describes the woman as the weaker vessel. 
Well, does that mean that she's uh, lesser and insignificant? No, there's just some constitutional realities that God has woven into the created world. There are maternal instincts. There are paternal instincts. And Paul uses that in his writings to the Thessalonians. And as some uh, egalitarians like to uh, highlight as well, you know, God uh, is described in feminine categories sometimes, like a nursing mother. Uh, well, Well, yes, of course, because these are characteristics constitutionally that God has woven into creation, his image bears male and female. So there are differences constitutionally by created design between men and women. Does that mean that Eve was more susceptible to Satan? Uh, Perhaps, perhaps. I mean, God gave Adam to be her protector, to be the one who would represent her Uh, before God in fulfilling everything that God called him and them to do. And when Eve was seduced by the serpent, Adam failed miserably. So there's no doubt that Adam is less culpable than Eve. That's not what Paul means. In fact, you know, had Adam fulfilled his covenantal responsibility in the failure of his wife, the sin of his wife, he shouldn't have hidden from God. He should have run to God And when God said, what are you doing? What's happened? He should have said, my wife sinned, kill me. My wife rebelled, kill me, take me. But instead, you know, he failed miserably. And that's the beauty of of what we see in in Christ, the the second Adam, the last Adam. He comes and he says, no, kill me. And, Mm. And we are redeemed because of that. But so with that, I think there might be some real constitutional realities there. Um, it doesn't mean that every woman is uh, more susceptible to being misled, mis- uh, uh, seduced into evil than every man, not at all. But constitutionally, men are designed by God to pre- preserve and protect, to care for, to mm-hmm. watch out for the uh, for women, but for the rest of creation as well. Yeah. So I, I think that's there. Then the, the, the point that you made that I don't think we can underscore enough is that his argument is not rooted on cultural conditions. That's what Dwight McKissick and others tried to argue against me is that, uh, no, this is, you know, something was going on in Ephesus and there was a particular woman there and all. No, 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 no. Paul says, I'm going all the way back to creation and the, um, uh, the constitutional differences between men and women have to be considered, and just the historical reality that this is the way that it went down. The, the woman was the one who was deceived. Adam's not less culpable for that, but these are just historical realities and facts. Yes, yes. And I just, for I hear a lot for the women who, like me, they like to communicate. They like to talk. They they like to teach. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think those things, being good at something or being able to do something is conflated with being called to do something and, and mm-hmm. also misunderstanding what the role of the pastor is. The role of the pastor is not just mm-hmm. talking. And I think actually we would That's have right. a lot uh, higher qualifications for our pastors if we understood that it's more than just being a good or dynamic communicator. There are a lot of women right. out there who are great communicators, who God has given right. special wisdom to understand the word in a lot of ways. They uh, you know, they're very eloquent. They're they're good at what they do. 
That does not mean, one, that you would be a good pastor just because I can speak well doesn't mean that I would be a good pastor and like thank the Lord for that. I'm glad I'm not called to that. Um, But also, even if you did have some capabilities, because women can be given, you know, a personality or leadership capabilities or good communication, even if that is true, just because you are capable of doing something doesn't mean you're called to do something. We are all, whether you're good at dance, whether you're good at art, whether you're good at running, whatever it is, we have, we all have to fit our capabilities into Christ honoring contexts. We're all called to submit in that way. And so I think that's a little bit hard for women who are truly talented. And I don't think anyone's trying to Mm -hmm. take that away from women. You're talented, you're smart, you're capable, all of these things. But some roles, some responsibilities are not for women in the same way that some roles and responsibilities are not for men. And as you said, that goes back to God's goodness, Mm -hmm. not his repression, but his goodness, because he understands what's good for us better than we do. And that goes back to the garden for sure. Amen. Amen. Look, one of the best theologians I know I'm married to. (laughs) Uh, My wife is a real good thinker. She is one of the best practical theologians that I've ever come across. I raised with my wife's help. She raised, I helped her, uh, five daughters as well as a son. And they are all, every one of them, very capable theologically. They are good thinkers. Mm-hmm. I would not hesitate to ask any of them to proofread of something I've written, to push back on something, to give me some ideas that maybe I hadn't thought of, you know, to, to check me out. Uh, and I have done that. I'm sure I've done it with every one of them. But they're, they're gifted, and they, they use those gifts. Uh, the ones that are mothers use those gifts in raising their children. They all have used those gifts in a variety of ways uh, in the context of church and in the context of, of just other relationships and in the community, in the world. And they've done it without any sense of, oh, no, unless I can be a pastor or unless I can be um, uh, a frontline military leader or yeah. something else like that, that I'm, I'm being repressed. It's, they're content with the way God has made them and made the world in which he has placed them. Yes. And I think that's a, the, the discontentedness is at the bottom of a lot of uh, what we're seeing today with the the, uh, with the kind of um, unfortunate yes. fighting against this idea of you know, qualified men who God wants to yeah. lead his church. And if we start with the understanding and the trusting God's goodness, that really changes everything, that changes how we look at commands, yeah. that I can look at something like Ephesians 5 and say, oh, submission to my husband is actually for my protection and for my good. I'm so glad that I'm not the one to have to ha- have the sacrificial leadership that my husband is called to. Wow, that's a really high calling. So is submitting to your husband as to the Lord. That's a that's high calling right. too. But it's right. a different responsibility. And I'm so thankful. Wow, God is so good that he has protected me in that way. What a privilege it is to be the one that Amen. gets to submit to that loving leadership, whether it's in my church or in my home. So if you start with the knowledge that God is love, if we start with the Mm -hmm. knowledge that his law is sweeter than honey, if we start with the trust that he's good, but if you start from a place of skepticism, if you start from a place of, well, maybe I'm more compassionate than God, maybe I'm better Mm -hmm. and wiser than he is, then of course, everything is going to start looking, well, maybe that's cruel. Maybe that's not for my good. Maybe that is, you know, maybe that's taking something away from me. We all have the tendency to do that. We've probably all done that at some part in our life. Um, But it all starts with the foundation. It all starts with the lens through which you are interpreting scripture, through God's goodness, or as a bully who's taking things away from you that you want. 
Amen. And yes, well put. And, and it's it goes back to what I said earlier. This is a totalizing approach to life. And I think that that's why all of these things we're seeing in our society today, as it's encroaching into the church, it's all connected. The LGBTQ uh, nonsense we're seeing is connected to abortion, is connected to the uh, radical feminism. It's all connected. And as Christians, we have been given the scriptures that show us the way things really are. And the way things really are begins in Genesis 1-1. God created the world he, he created the heavens yes. and the earth yes. this is his world and we if we can get that and say okay we're here for him this is his show so we need to plug in where he has put us and, and be content with that because it's for our good as you said man so many problems would be solved if we could just get back to that fundamental understanding yes and amen All right, well, uh, second to last break to tell you about our third sponsor, and that is Epic Will. Did you know that 50% of Americans do not have a last will and testament? In that 50%, we're talking about grown adults. We are talking about parents. We are talking about people who really need a will to make sure that everything is put in place and they don't have one. If you are part of that 50%, I understand. It's complicated. It takes a lot of time. It's scary. It's something that we don't want to think about, especially if you're at a young age. You don't want to think about uh, leaving your family behind, leaving your kids behind, but we are never guaranteed tomorrow. So the most responsible thing that you can do right now is to make sure you have a last will and testament. And if you want to make it as simple and as affordable as possible, go through Epic Will. If you go to epicwill.com slash Allie in as little as five minutes at $119, then you also get a 10% discount with my link. You can have a complete will package from Epic Will. They provide a template, you just fill it out and it's really, really easy. Then you just have that already in place and secure. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Also, if you are a single mom and you've got kids under the age of 18 in your home, you get a last will and testament totally for free. The guy who started Epic Will, he's a great guy. He was raised by a single mom, so he just has a heart for you. So if you're a single mom with kids in your home, you get this totally for free. For everyone else, go to epicwill.com slash Allie. You'll save 10% on your complete will package when you do. Epicwill.com slash Allie. Epicwill.com slash Allie. Okay, I just want to talk briefly about uh, something that happened on Twitter and then was reported on uh, in the news a few weeks ago. Ted Cruz, Republican senator from Texas, whom I'm sure in a lot of ways you and I align with and really appreciate, um, he joined President Biden, this is according to Fox News, in condemning a new law enacted in Uganda criminalizing homosexual actions, specifically allowing the death penalty for aggravated homosexuality, which is defined in the law as sexual relationships with minors and other categories of vulnerable people. Uh, so he tweeted, this Uganda law is horrific and wrong. Any law criminalizing homosexuality or imposing the death penalty for quote unquote aggravated homosexuality is grotesque and an abomination. All civilized nations should join together in condemning this human rights abuse. Hashtag LGBTQ. And then you uh, cited Leviticus 2013. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Tell it to God. Ted, was this law God gave to his old covenant people horrific and wrong? 
And sorry, but I got to read the back and forth. I won't read his whole thing, but I thought it was interesting that he like tried to come back at you theologically. Um, he said, your biblical analysis is an error. Jesus told us to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to, the, to God the things that are God's. We are talking about the laws of man, not the Old Testament laws of God. Uh, Leviticus also tells us for anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. So should we execute every child who's disrespectful to parents? So, okay, just give us. And, and then there was the whole thing about how you had the interview and then it was selectively edited. Thankfully, they took that down. So there was a lot that went back and forth with this. But tell, tell us your thinking and your response and then your thoughts about Ted Cruz's response to you. Yeah, well, um <laughs> Let me just say, I don't go looking for these things. Um, I, I saw, I follow Ted Cruz. I, I love Ted Cruz. I've appreciated him. I voted for him in the primaries 2016, and uh, I've appreciated much about him. I understand he's a Christian, never don't know him personally, but I think he's a member of a Baptist church in Houston. So when I saw that, it, I, I was uh, I was disappointed. And I wish I had not said, you know, tell it to God, Ted. I wish I'd said, tell it to God, Senator Cruz, because he deserves to be respected. And I should have done that. And I'm sorry for that. But I stand by what I said. When he went beyond the Ugandan law, which could be debated for specifics, and said any law that criminalizes homosexuality is grotesque, it's horrific, it's wrong. Well, now then, he has just attacked God. And as follower of Christ, I can't let that happen. So that's when I just cited a text from Leviticus that you read that God told Moses to have for his old covenant people. Now, that season of uh, life during Israel's history was for a purpose, and those laws were for Israel for that purpose. But it cannot be a grotesque, horrific, wrong law if God gave it. That was my whole point. Is it here's he's misfired here. He wasn't thinking. So I wasn't trying to, to argue even the, le, the legitimacy or value of Ugandan law. I was trying to be principled in saying right. you have overstepped here. Yeah. So uh, and that can be when, difficult. Court, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I mean, so when he responded, I, I don't think he got that, you know, and he tried to, to get it a patch it up a little bit well you know we're talking about man's laws not god's laws well okay but you did an any law that's yeah. universal including what god said so it is a the, the relationship of law and gospel old testament new testament those are are not uh real simple issues but they mm -hmm. are important issues right. and they're not impossible to understand and god's people have understood them and recognize them and preached out of that understanding for centuries. And we need to do that again in our day. So I, I think it's a commentary of just how far we've drifted from some of those important distinctions that must be made in order to maintain a right approach to God's law and God's gospel. Right. You are not saying that we need to enact all Levitical law here in the United States. That's not Correct. what your argument was. I haven't heard any Christian argue that, that all the laws of the Old Testament need to be applied <laughs> in the United States today, including this law. But this is kind of like the the argument that I have with people who are anti-death penalty, and they claim, which is, is wrong in itself, but they claim that that was the Old Covenant, this is the New Covenant, this is the New Testament, Jesus abolished the death penalty, which is wrong, we've gone through that before. But okay, even if you were to say that, even if you were just to say that 
the death penalty in the United States today, according to our system, it's just our system isn't consistent enough. It's not fair enough. And therefore, we shouldn't have the death penalty. That's one argument. But to say that the death penalty per se is evil is right. to then say that God is evil, that he's unjust, That's that right. he's lacking compassion. And so I'm for the arguments of, hey, our judicial system is so messed up that we shouldn't be put any put anyone to death. Okay, I understand your logic behind that, even if I don't agree with it. But to say that the death penalty is always wrong no matter what, then you're saying that God is always wrong. So that's kind of how I understood your argument. You are not saying that yeah. we should enact those laws here in the United States today or saying even that the Uganda law was righteous. One of the problems with the Uganda law is that I think it does show a partiality um, when it comes to how they actually punish all different kinds of crimes and different kinds of rape and different kinds of sexual mm -hmm. assault that is not God honoring. So that wasn't your point either to say, yes, this Uganda no. <laughs> law is perfect. It was simply to respond specifically to what Ted Cruz said, which he said, all laws criminalizing homosexuality are evil. Okay, well, that's to yeah. say that God is evil or he, you think he was evil in his law giving to Israel. It's the same God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that's a theological that's a theological problem. That's how I understood your tweet. Right. But that is hard. I mean, Twitter's just Twitter's hard. But um, I understood yeah. where you were coming from. Well, I appreciate it, I, and you you chimed in, and I appreciated that too because uh, the majority of the response on Twitter was, as you probably saw, it was very very negative. Some of it was very very vile. But even from Christians, conservative Christians, self described. They just don't understand. They didn't understand the argument, the point I was making. But even giving that, uh, they were still of this mindset. That's the Old Testament. We're not under the Old Testament. We're under the New Testament. We don't have anything to do with law. You're a legalist. And uh, it, it just shows how far removed we are from good, basic, essential understanding of law and gospel. Because the God who gave us the gospel also gave us the law. And he loves his law as much as he loves his gospel. The law is not the gospel. The law doesn't get us right with God. It never could. It never has. It never will. The gospel alone, by God's grace, is what saves a person. It's only what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. When we receive Christ through faith, that grace is what makes us right with God. But being made right with God, what do we do? We want to honor him. We want to be like Christ. What was Christ like? Well, he magnified the law and made it honorable. He came to do his Father's will. And so as Christians, we look to what God reveals his will to be. And we say, we want to be like that. We want to do that. Now, in the Old Testament, he gave these laws or ceremonial laws. There were civil laws and there was moral law. The ceremonial laws are done away with because we're not Jewish people worshiping in Jewish customs. The civil law is done away with because we're not a, a nation state as Christians today. Uh, we, we transcend geopolitical boundaries. But the moral law obtains those Ten Commandments that summarize the moral law for Israel. They still are good rules for us today because they are embedded in nature. They, they're embedded in God. They are not arbitrary. They come out of a reflection of who he really is. And so, yes, we should seek to live moral lives. And we can learn from the civil codes of the Old Testament because many of those codes reflect specific righteousness. And we ought to say, okay, there's something to be learned from that. What can we do over here in our civil geopolitical state to uh, reflect righteousness in our laws? Because somebody's laws, some system of righteousness and right. morality is going to govern. It's not a question of whether we should have 
uh, religious impulse or background or foundation. It's a question of which one are we going to have? And in our day and age, you just have to look back a few weeks and see what President Biden did with putting up the LGBTQ Mm -hmm. flag at the White House on par with the United States flag. And he's telling us what religion that he's advocating for to rule our nation. Last sponsor for the day is My Patriot Supply. Another thing you might not want to think about, but we have to think about in order to be responsible, good stewards of our resources and our families is emergency food supply. Should things really hit the fan, there's been all kinds of things going on with fertilizer shortages, extreme weather conditions. There's been crop failures in the United States. Hopefully everything is fine. Our food supply will continue to be strong, but should things really really go crazy and hit the fan. You just want to make sure that you and your family are taken care of. And right now, My Patriot Supply is offering an amazing deal, a new lower price on their popular four-week emergency food kit. You'll want to get one kit for every member of your family. We have My Patriot Supply in our home, and it's good for 30 years when you put it away. And then if the time comes, uh, you open it, you eat it, I it's nutritious food. I hear that it actually tastes good too. So their emergency food kit is super popular. It's already a good price, but now they're offering this limited time offer that expires soon at a new lower price. If you go to preparewithally.com, you can get that discount on the four-week emergency food kit. Preparewithally.com. Preparewithally.com. Yes, nothing is neutral. And I've talked about I've, I've talked about this with my atheist friends too, um, about okay, well, what worldview should our laws be based on? If not Christianity, mm-hmm. then what? Because this idea of neutrality that the secular worldview is just based on facts, it's not based on any beliefs, of course, that is illogical. It's impossible, actually. It's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as you said, every law is going to speak to a particular worldview. The only question is ever which one, whether you're choosing curriculum, whether sure. you're choosing local laws, whether you're choosing national laws, it's all going to be based on a particular worldview. The question is which one. But I want to summarize what you just said because I, I loved that summary and that concise understanding of the difference in the Old Testament laws and why they apply today or why some apply today and why some don't. So ceremonial laws, civil laws, and moral laws, you said ceremonial laws today, we are not uh, the Jewish people. We are not ancient Israel. We don't have to abide by those laws. Those laws were for their protection, also for their separateness, their sacredness. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus has become our cleansing. He has become our sacredness. He has become our righteousness. He has made us clean. So Jesus became that for us. The civil law, as you said, we are not a nation state as far as we see. We're not called to create a similar nation state to mm-hmm. Israel. We transcend geopolitical boundaries is what you said. So those don't apply uh, to us. As you said, we can learn from them, but we don't have to enact mm-hmm. them on a certain people group. Mm-hmm. But then the moral law still stands. And the reason for that is we see them reiterated throughout the New Testament and God doesn't abol- or Jesus doesn't abolish them. He doubles down on them. He says, you have heard it said that you must mm-hmm. not murder, but I'm telling you, that you, if you hate someone in your heart, that's akin to murder. So it's not that Jesus says, mm-hmm. oh, you've heard it said that you shall not murder. 
but it's now it's fine. He says, no, I'm telling you that it's always actually been about the heart. Um, And so that was a really clear explanation. And I think it can get overly complicated, but that was uh, that was really helpful. And also, I think sheds light on what was meant by your response to Ted Cruz's tweet. Mm -hmm. So I hope people um, gain clarity from that. Uh, Is there anything else, anything else that you want to share in regards to anything that we've talked about or uh, directing people to Founders Ministries and everything that you guys are doing there? Yeah, well, thank you, Allie. I mean, we address these kind of things uh, all the time at Founders, so you can go at founders.org and get more information there. It's why we started two years ago the Institute of Public Theology, where we are now offering bachelor's and master's level education. You can find that at instituteofpublictheology.org because we're concerned to recover this way of thinking, this these basic truths that 200 years ago, uh, our forefathers would have not been debating too significantly because even Lutherans, Calvinists, uh, the Baptists, we, there was just a commonality of understanding at the foundation. But now that's gone and they need to be recovered because we're in a world, especially here in America, but in the in the West, we're in a world where we are seeing these uh, pagan religions that are just running roughshod over every area of life, education, uh, in entertainment, in politics, and medicine. There's just no area where it's being left untouched. And that is increasingly becoming the, the case with the church, with the evangelical world. And those of us who know Christ, those of us who are following him, must be willing to stand. And we've got to stand firmly on his word. We must understand that word. So we've got to give ourselves to it. Where we've been wrong, we need to repent. And that shouldn't be a high bar because the scripture has been given to us to reprove and correct, to train in righteousness and to instruct us. So two of the four things that Paul says the scripture is given for, for its utility, are corrective in nature. And so if you're being corrected by scripture, praise God, that's its purpose. And repent and then stand firm on what it does say and be prepared for the onslaught that will come because it will come. And we're living in a world that's increasingly hostile to the ways of Christ, and Christians are being increasingly marginalized, but this is no time for fear, and it's no time to retreat. It's time to stand firm. So uh, I appreciate all you're doing in on that, in the front where God's placed you, and we're trying to do the same thing at Founders and uh, IOPT as well. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for that ending message and for everything you guys are doing. I mean, I direct people all the time to the church search function that Founders has on Mm -hmm. their website. And I've gotten so many messages and stories from people saying, you know, I'd been out of church for 30 years. I was scared to go to church. I had no Mm -hmm. idea how to find a Bible believing (laughs) church or the church that I was going to was, you know, getting progressive. And, and I've just, it's just so easy to remember. I'll I'll put the link in the description of this episode if people are interested, but that alone, I mean, there's a lot that Founders offers that I really recommend people check out, but that alone has been a game changer because when people get plugged Mm -hmm. into a local church and you find that community and you have that shepherding and you have the opportunity to understand what God's word says and also just be bolstered by the strength and the courage of others, that makes all the difference in the world. So thank God for uh, the local body and also thank God for the SBC standing strong um, in this issue, which as you articulated well, is an extremely important issue, is a trusting God issue. Um, So thank you so much, Pastor. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Well, thanks, Allie. I'm always glad to, to be on with you. Oh, 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 oh,